couple of weeks ago, first Sunday of the month, Kevin was scheduled to preach, and he was dealing with bronchitis and was sick, and so he and I flipped a date, and I spoke that Sunday, and he's going to speak next Sunday night, and so that makes tonight the last Sunday night of the month, and if you've been an attentive listener over the last little bit, tonight is going to be uh, another one of our hymn night uh, songs. And last week on Wednesday night, Josh, or it's not on Wednesday night, on Sunday night, Josh led singing, and he picked every song that required every ounce of breath that anybody might have. Might have. And by, by the time I stood up here, we all couldn't even breathe. We had sung so much right there. Well, tonight, we're totally flipping that. Tonight, I, I think last week I mentioned a dirge like him. I don't know if Night with Heaven opinion is quite dirge, but it's pretty close. Uh, right there. And so, Ben, I appreciate you leading that uh, for us this evening. I'm not talking about in a while uh, myself either. When I was young and we would sing songs, or when they would lead songs at Maple Avenue, there were songs that they would sing, and there were things that sort of resonated with me. For instance, the song, Up From the Grave He Arose. You may remember that. Well, Matt Simpson and I, we went to church together. And every time, one time at church, Matt said, you know, it sounds like it says, Up From the Grave He Arose. And then he said, with biscuits flying from his toes. And I was like, that's what I think about every time I think about that song. So think about Matt every time whenever we sing, Up From the Grave He Arose. I don't know why. But it, well, I do know why. That, that, that'll stick with me. But I remember we would sing this. And I just remember when we would sing this, I thought, I don't have a clue what this means. And then I guess I thought 40 years later, well, I still don't really know what it means. So I thought tonight we would look a little bit at what does this song mean? Because you can tell when this song is being sung that it's a pretty intense type of song. We talked about, like we said, dirge-like. And it's a slower sort of, this is not an upbeat kind of song. This is not necessarily the kind of song that you pick on singing night, right? Where we get like uh, energized and excited perhaps. But this song, the words were written by a man named Love H. James. Now, it was published in 1854, but the circumstances beyond that are kind of hard to figure out. I, I didn't really find a ton that goes along with it. This author, this love, Jameson, also wrote the song, There Is a Habitation. I guess after he wrote the slow one, he needed to write something that was going to be a whole lot quicker uh, along the way. But it was composed by, the tune was composed by Joseph Powell, who had been born in 1832 in Oregon. We may have saw that name as it flashed up there. Powell taught vocal music and worked with the Fillmore Brothers Music House in Cincinnati. Powell, the, the tune writer, uh, was editor of songbooks for both the Christian churches and the churches of Christ at the time. I, I'm using that term together because those, that split came after uh, a little bit later, late 18, early 1900s. But there's not much else that's known about this song. We don't really know a whole lot more than that. So if we don't really know the historical aspect of it, well, maybe let's look and see what is the story behind it. Well, We'll look at this in three different verses. And the first verse, we read, the first verse of the song says, Night, I did not know that that cloud was going to go through there. <laughs> I mean, I did know that. Look how fancy that is, right? I've had this plan for weeks. So, that's going to be a distraction. I think. Yes. And so, 
night with Evan Pinion. The first verse says, night with Evan Pinion brooded o'er the veil. All around was silent, save the night winds wail. When Christ the man of sorrows and tears and sweat and blood prostrate in the garden, raised his voice to God. So I want to think about this to start with. Well, first, like we said, there's a sort of dark and foreboding atmosphere that exists almost from the beginning. First of all, what does those words, what do those words mean, Evan and Pinion? Well, Evan means black. You may hear the word Ebony, which comes from that before. And, and Pinion, uh, to the best of my ability, is sort of a wing of a bird, uh, for, for lack of a better. But what this really means is this it's sort of a poetic description of the world being sort of covered in darkness. Think about it that way. And so like, think about if you were to have a wing or something and it were to cover over, everything that was sunny and bright would be covered up. Well, in many ways, that's sort of the description of Jesus' life, right? First of all, he prays in the garden there toward the end. But what about when Jesus is crucified, right? We see that the world sort of went dark. Some of you may remember a few years ago, or you may have remembered more of these in the past, eclipses that take place. And it's an odd scene, right? You know, everything is sunny or bright, and then passes over, gets a little darker, gets a little cooler. That was a trick that was often used on the Native Americans to predict things that were happening. Because Native Americans didn't understand the, the schedule of things like eclipses and the explorers, the early settlers would use that and they'd say, here's what's going to happen. In three days, it's going to turn dark during the day. They would use those kind of things to, to trick the natives to show that they were more powerful or more knowledgeable. Well, the term here is used to show we're going to go from good to bad, from light to dark here as it were. The night was going to be dark, certainly, and there would be a whole lot of emotion. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. We're going to read verses 30 through 36. This is not necessarily the set of verses that we might always read. I'm kind of jumping into one and extending over another. But I want us to think about sort of the atmosphere of the time that goes with the atmosphere of the song. Starting in verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's where we start with. And we read that after Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. And then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That's Jesus talking. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Now, that's not how it always worked out. But we'll come back to Peter here in just a few moments as well. Jesus, has said, to, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Now, read that for a couple of reasons. One, to sort of set the mood. Jesus already knows what's about to happen. But the, the sort of gung-ho of Peter right here is to say, I will not, I will be right there with you. You know, we always talk about Peter, but in verse 34, or excuse me, verse 35, and so said all the disciples. They all chimed in right there with Peter. But Jesus then says in verse 36, he said, sit here, 
I'm going to go over here and pray. We'll come back to that in a second. But that's about where Kevin picked up whenever he had our scripture reading there just a few moments ago. You can sense a level of intensity in this description. You can sense a level of intensity in what Jesus is saying. Mark 14 and verse 33 said, And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Think about those two descriptors for a second. Troubled and deeply distressed. If you think about being troubled or deeply distressed, that's a level that maybe goes beyond just kind of upset or a little bit worried. But Jesus, as we talked about this morning, was human. And trouble and distress are the exact same feelings we probably would have had in a similar situation. Think about how difficult it would be to go into this scene. There's a book that we were given when we were in graduate school to become teachers. And the book was by uh, uh, Ernest Gaines. The book was called A Lesson Before Dying. And not to give away the book, but the point of it is, because there's a young man who's in Mississippi, I believe, Mississippi, Alabama, one, who was on death row. And he had no education. And there was a man who sort of took it upon himself to go and educate this young man. And when he first starts going to talk to him, there's this sort of like, you know, like, I didn't do anything wrong. They got the wrong man. I, I, I can't. Uh-oh, that's probably not him. I didn't do anything wrong. I, didn't, I shouldn't be the one who is, uh, who, who's in trouble or whatever it might be. But as the book goes along, the person starts to realize the seriousness of his near death. I think you can sense the seriousness in these set of verses in what Jesus is about to face. He was human just as me and you would have been. But at the end of that song, first verse of the song, it's that he raised his voice to God. Jesus began to pray. Jesus took time to pray. And this is not uncommon for him, but it's also the same thing that he would say to us as well. Matthew 7, Luke 18, James chapter 5, all of those encourage people to pray. First thing. Smitten for offenses which were not his own, he for our transgressions had to weep alone. No friend with words to comfort nor hand to help was there when the meek and lowly humbly bowed in prayer. The New Testament writers, and a couple that we're going to mention here in a second, make the death of Jesus its central, its central message. Think about Peter for a second. Peter said, I will absolutely not deny you. Jesus said, absolutely, you will here in a few moments. Or he said three times before it's morning, right? Well, we read later on that Peter did exactly that. But we also read in the book of Acts that Peter would be the first person to give a sermon, right? We also can go into the back of your Bible or near the back of your Bible and find the book of 1 Peter, which was written by Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, if you turn over there, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or without spot. Again, we're saying here that this death of Jesus is playing a central role in the entirety of the New Testament. Peter writes again in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Peter, one more, 1 Peter 3 verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Peter's three different times here makes a attentive, special focus to the death of Jesus. Why was that so important? Why was it imperative to stress that? Well, I think for one, Peter was right there when it happened. And Peter realized, and you know, there has to be a level of realization from Peter sort of after it was over. That's what he was going through right there. You know, sometimes when people are facing a serious, difficult situation, we kind of want to rah rom and boost them up a little bit. And I can think, I think that's what Peter was sort of doing there in the garden was, I will be behind you. I don't know that that's what Jesus needed to hear right then. Sometimes you just need to sort of be alone with yourself. I think all of us can relate to that in some form or fashion. But Jesus went to that garden, went to pray by himself. Paul, who was, as the Bible describes, he describes himself as an apostle born out of time, right? But Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 to 15, he said, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and also your faith is empty. He said, yes, and we were false. We are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. Paul is making a reference to this as well. Paul is saying that the most important thing, the thing that matters the most, is the fact that Jesus went to the cross, died, was buried, and resurrected. Those are the things that mattered the most to him. If we're saying that this was the central fact of the New Testament, Paul does the same. The Hebrew writer, 9, chapter 9, verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of men. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, this time for salvation. So within that death, Jesus would have to weep alone. That's what the Bible says. That's what the song says right there. Jesus wanted his disciples to wait and watch for him. But what did they do when he went away and prayed. After seeing the sort of fear, if that's the right word, after seeing the sort of nerves, the sort of anguish that Jesus was going through, after literally saying, we'll be there beside you 100%, when he went to pray, what did they do? They fell asleep. Now, we can cast a lot of stones in that way, but in many ways, we can do the same thing, right? I will never, ever, ever do wrong. And then 20 minutes later, what are we doing, right? Or I will never give up on any of this. Well, we'll put that all behind us. Well, we can do the same thing to Christ. When we make our pledge to become a Christian, whenever we say, I'm, but then if we're not careful, we sort of fall asleep at the wheel, as it were. Or while Jesus is doing the work, we fall asleep. Verse 3. Abba, Father, Father, if indeed it may, let this cup of anguish pass from me, I pray. Yet if it must be suffered by me, thine only Son, Abba, Father, Father, let thy will be done. The author of this song seems to hit all of the main points of what happens in the story. Because it seems like that that moment in the garden... And that moment when Jesus walks around the corner figuratively to pray, that's the lowest point. But it seems like if it's possible that there's a little bit of a rallying from Jesus there toward the end. There's the same thing in this song. If the first verse and the second verse sort of drag down, then the third verse at least ends on an uptick. It ends with a positive 
look forward. The cup of anguish, of course, was Jesus' suffering and his death. But Jesus said in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, something to the effect of, if it be possible, if thou art willing, remove this cup. See, nobody wants to go through that kind of difficulty. Nobody wants to go through that kind of trouble, do they? Nobody wants to deal with it. If you could have everything go perfectly in your life from this point forward, we would everyone sign up for that, right? We absolutely would. But what's going to happen when we start thinking that everything's going to go... It never does, right? I can almost guarantee you that if you want to find bad news, you can find it right now. If you want to find bad news about something close to you and your family, you'll probably get it the next day or two, right? Because there's always something bad. Jesus said... In in my words right here, because it's written three different ways in those Gospels, but Jesus in a sense was saying, it would be really nice if I didn't have to do this. But it's almost like it ends not with a period, but with a comma, and then it says, but, right? Because it goes a little bit further on than just that. Was Jesus asking God to throw it away, to scrap the plane? Think about that for a second. Because as I was thinking about this, that's not something that I had really ever thought too much about. But when Jesus is saying, let this cup of anguish, because it's almost like when we read that, we just sort of gloss right on over to, but nevertheless, not thy will, but not my will, but thy will be done. But was Jesus saying, just scratch this? Well, I think emotionally, maybe so. Because I think that shows emotionally the fact that Jesus was a man just like me or you, right? And that we would like to let that sort of pass through. But Jesus' goal, Jesus' mission had to be accomplished and that's not how it would be done. What did Jesus say in John chapter 12 and verse 27? Do we know what it said right there? Jesus said, now my soul is strong, right? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? It's a good question. That's what, probably what he was praying for right there. Father, save me from this hour. But the verse doesn't end right there. He says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. It's a difference right there. That was the Now, are we going to face difficulties along our way? Absolutely. But those are the kind of things we have to go through. Because Jesus said, I would really, 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 my words here, like to not have to do this. But this is why I came. This is why I'm here. This is what the mission requires of me. It's without a doubt an absolute necessity that Jesus go through this. And eventually what happens? Well, it does happen. Jesus said upon completion what? What did Jesus, what's the last words we have recorded of Jesus? It is finished, right? That's the end of it. That was when it was done. And so if we rode that sort of roller coaster here of these three verses in Psalm with the description in this gospel, we read that Jesus sort of started... And he went down. But at the end, it sort of takes back up. You know? That's where it goes. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will. He said, this is why I'm here. Let thy will be done. Quite often we sing this song before communion. I would say that it was odd hearing Ben lead that song tonight when he did. Because I don't know that that song's hardly ever been sang on a Sunday night. It's probably almost always on a Sunday morning. Because we always <coughs> sing that uh, before communion, before taking the Lord's song. And there's a certain darkness to this end. I'll be honest with you, singing it while it was sunny outside was a little odd to me as well. I don't know if things affect you in the same way as it does me. 
But there was darkness of night in the psalm. There was darkness of sin in the psalm. And there was darkness of death in the psalm. This is not the happy psalm that we often will sing. Sometimes we sing a lot of songs that are happy. It's not really that. But just as Jesus said, let thy will be done, for us, during our darkest nights, we have to learn to say the same thing. Almost all of us have been in a situation where we have said something similar to the fact that I have never had to go through anything so difficult in my life. That's probably true. If we're not careful, we might say something to the effect of, no one has ever had to go through anything as difficult as I have. That's not true. That's not true. Now, all things are, all politics are local, all things are local, right? All mean something to us right there. But I think that we can find just a little bit of comfort in knowing that Jesus was sent to the earth, to the cross, to die on the cross for our behalf. And it's really hard for us to think that God, described as the Father, had to sit and watch what took place. But Jesus said what God was intending right there. He said, this is my mission. This is why I'm here. This is what I came for. Sometimes for us, those things that are the absolute darkest will always be the absolute darkest. That's why we gather around the table each first day of the week and remember the death of Christ. That's an important part. That's why we have to. But I think the best part about gathering around the communion, perhaps the best part about this song, is knowing that there's a little sliver of light that goes with it. And when we think about the things that we go through, the difficulties that we go through, the challenges that we go through. I'm not saying it's going to turn from black to white. I'm not going to say it's turning from night to day. But I hope that we can find just a little sliver of light in there. Because sometimes just that little sliver of light is enough to light the way the rest of the way forward. Not our will, but thy will be done. If there's anything we can do for you, any way that we can help you, we want you to come while we stand, while we stand. Days are-